Welcome to this week's podcast, Building Blocks of the Indian Economy. I'm your host, Amar Meni. We have, in previous weeks, looked at India's school system, its students and teachers. But what of the relationship between the world of education and the world of work? How well does India's education system prepare students for the workplace? Do we have an abundance of skilled workers or a short supply? Are India's doctors and engineers the best in the world or the worst? Okay, let's find out. Well, at the moment, there are about 500 million Indians of working age. That means that India has a bigger workforce than the United States. It is also bigger than the European Union and is second only to China. The average age in India is just a bit under 27 years. Now, you will have read headlines about report after report showing that despite so many lakhs and crores of students coming out of the Indian educational system each year, a low percentage are actually employable. This figure is regularly under 50%. Something like barely 45% of Indian graduates are employable. Another report found that 80% of Indian engineers do not possess the skills which their employers require of them. It has been said that India's private engineering colleges, mainly run by politicians, are to blame. They do not teach relevant coursework, you see. And then in India, a quite common career progression is to go from an engineering degree towards an MBA, and then not really use that technical engineering training and pursue a career as a business manager because the salaries are so much higher for business managers than they are for engineers on the shop floor or the construction site. And so India has a lot of degree holders, but relatively few good doctors and engineers. We have encountered the problem of low productivity in the Indian economy before, notably in an industry like agriculture. But the problem of skills mismatches, that is, the skills which employees have or don't have enough of, and the skills which employers want, that is, the skills required for the job, is a global problem. And generally, the greater the skills mismatch, the lower the productivity levels in the economy. This is obvious in India, which has among the worst skill mismatches in the world, and so the lowest rates of productivity. Workers cannot work more productively, more expertly, faster, more creatively because they do not have the appropriate training. Now that brings me to the type of education system we have in India, which in most ways is not that different to education systems across the world. It is based on the Western, specifically British model after all. At one end of the spectrum, you have the American model of higher education in which most students aspire to pursue a four-year liberal arts degree, a college degree, as it is known there, and come out at the end with no tangible skill, only really the cognitive ability to perhaps learn such a skill. We in India follow the British pattern, generally a three-year or perhaps now four-year undergraduate degree, with a higher degree of specialisation in commerce, science, the arts, law, medicine, engineering, etc. 
And so the idea is that the student comes out of their undergraduate degree with some tangible skills, a specialization, and is ready to get cracking in the world of work. Now, I would argue that given the amount of skills mismatch across the world, this old university system of education is thoroughly obsolete. Whether it be the system of teaching, the length of semesters and courses, the amount of interaction between teachers and students, the fee structure, the nature of physical campuses, all the more so because employers all around the world, and particularly here in India, are most often found complaining about the lack of employability of graduates. Now, to be fair, universities are not just job training centers. Not every degree course can perfectly train a student for day one of their first job. How many of us were so trained on day one? I would hazard a guess that most of us learned our first job, the basics of our profession, on the job, in the first months and years of our careers. But the point remains that universities are very, very slow to adapt and are still adhering to a 19th century education pattern, well into the 21st century. And it would seem that the edifice will crumble when more students opt out. The only problem is that there are not always very good alternatives to universities for higher or further education and training. Now, I mentioned some of the statistics about employability of graduates in India for a number of reasons. There is every incentive to invest in better higher education. Just as the saying goes, build it and they will come. So one could say, educate them and they will come. That is, educate them, the students and the employers will come. Just as long as you do not put obstacles in their way, of course. This is more so in an age of globalization in which capital is always hungry for skilled human resources, wherever they might be geographically. Just think back to the 1990s, when with the dismantling of the License Raj and the repealing of restrictions on foreign investment, international capital very quickly found its way to India, attracted by its abundance of English-speaking, skilled and semi-skilled labor available at relatively low cost. So an investment in education acts as a magnet for international capital flows. Just think how much more capital would be flowing into India if those employability indices were improved. Take engineers, for example. India produces a huge number, but only a tiny fraction, maybe one or two or three in a hundred, would be at the global skill level to be attractive enough for Indian or foreign multinationals to want to hire. And of course, some section of this small group will go abroad for higher wages. According to most measures, the youth unemployment rate in India remains at around 15 to 20 percent. And it is a chronic problem, with the unemployment rate in that youth group, say 20 to 25 years, being many multiples of the older age brackets. For example, the unemployment rate for more middle-aged people, say 30 to 60, is regularly about 1%, or sometimes even less. And the more educated a young person is, the more likely they are to be unemployed. 
educated youth unemployment is at about 25%. A lot of youngsters end up working unpaid in a family business or in casual or semi-permanent work. That is, less secure and less lucrative employment. Only 10% are in secure salaried work, the type of job that they would likely aspire to. Just prior to the pandemic, more than one third of youngsters in India were neither in education, training, or employment. That is, they were sitting idle, doing time pass, as they say. By far the biggest requirement for skills training comes from the construction industry, followed by retail, the beauty and wellness industry, and then road transport and highways. Now, unfortunately, the project of skilling India has been a bipartisan disaster over the past 10 to 15 years. The idea is a good one, and it started to take off during the UPA government's second term in 2009. And then back in 2015, Prime Minister Modi launched the Skill India campaign. Some 400 million people were supposed to be trained in seven years by 2022. Seven years seems like a long time, enough time to meet such an ambitious target. But, of course, the seven years came and the seven years went. So many different hundreds of millions of young Indians were supposed to be trained at various times that one could easily lose track. A hundred million one year, 500 million the next. Make it 250 million in two years' time. Skill India was a catchy title, much better than the usual long-winded Yojanas and Pariyojanas. The scheme had an excellent logo and a very good font. But unfortunately, in many ways, it was largely a continuation of the earlier UPA scheme and produced similar dismal results. These schemes into which thousands of crores of rupees have been poured, have regularly scored less than 10% on their mark sheet. That is, barely 1 in 10 so trained in the Skill India programs got a job at the end. Now everyone agrees that skilling, that is vocational, practical skilling of young Indians, is a good idea. I'm talking about practical hands-on training outside the scope of schools and universities. And ambition and scale are wonderful things. But uh, just not in this case. Let me explain. See, those huge targets, 400 million, 300 million, 500 million, caused the problems. Industry was brought in to essentially lead what are called sector skill councils, or SSCs, which were largely funded by the government of India to the tune of those thousands of crores of rupees. But rather than the industries take on the task of training themselves, the actual training was outsourced to these medium-sized private human resources companies, sometimes incorporated overnight. The money would flow from the government of India through the SSCs, the sector skills councils, who would then pay these private contractors. Now, the idea of involving industry was a very good one. Yet instead of responding to industry's genuine needs for skilled labor, 
the industry-led councils would respond to the government's massive headline-grabbing targets, 300 million, 400 million. In order to get the funding, you have to hit the target. So then what happened? Just take a few seconds and I'm sure you can guess. One, two, three. Have you guessed? Yes, lots of phantom companies appeared with fake lists of students. They're on paper, but missing in the classroom. A lot of these training companies back in the UPA days were availing of loans from the government of India and defaulting on the loans. There, over a decade, grew up an ecosystem generously watered by the government of India's irrigation network of funding in which lots of companies, classrooms, teachers and students appeared to be doing a lot in massive volumes, but uh, producing very little because the whole system was geared to hitting unrealistic government targets rather than the realistic needs of industry. Little thought was even given to whether there were enough teachers or trainers to teach such huge volumes of students. Then courses got shortened to weeks, days, then even sometimes hours. The student would be certified, ticked off a list, sent to the government of India to claim the funding. And then, as we have seen, 90% of the time left unemployed at the end of the Skill India experience. Given that employers are always complaining about the lack of employable, skilled job candidates, you would think that they would be interested in such initiatives as Skill India. And there are some groups like the Tatars and Larson and Turbro, which do conduct their own vocational training in their own centers. But obviously this is not a realistic possibility for smaller companies. I would advocate that the real solution is to plug into genuine private sector initiative. Let the industry associations come together to create training centers which are driven by their members, the companies in any given industry, and let the government of India provide a generous, but not too generous, incentive for such training. Absolutely no help in starting up the training centers, but a subsidy once started. These industry-led training centers and networks would then be the product of real private sector initiatives based on their own realistic needs, not the government of India's uh, over-ambitious targets and its Yojana, Pariyojana irrigation scheme.